Good morning. I really am, <clears throat> really am glad to have this opportunity to be with you guys this morning and uh, this particular message um, to talk about God's heart and to see if um, in our pursuit, each one of us, our own walk with Christ, our own time in the word that we spend, our time in prayer, our desire every day as believers, as we come to him and say, Lord, I just, I just want to know you more. I just want to walk with you. I'm just a normal guy trying to live out my faith in Christ. And to just see that to have this opportunity with you guys and use a few minutes here to look into his word and just strengthen that very thing. And, and sure, highlight one particular aspect of God's character but to have an opportunity to just do that with you, just focus on who he is, what he's like, how he views the world, and to see that tremendous privilege that he's brought us into as his children. And I'm particularly thankful because in this church, uh, and, and it's great, like you guys were really growing here so much so that many of you don't know who I am, which is, which is a wonderful thing. Um, I've actually been a member here for, for a long, long time, back to 1988, I guess it was, that we became members here. But we've been gone, okay? Most of our lives have been gone from here. But I'm really grateful that on a Missions Sunday, if we're going to talk about missions, and as Rick already said, missions is it's a part of the fabric of what we talk about here every Sunday. It's not just this one moment. But when we do give a Sunday to focus on this, I'm really grateful that it's a church that, that is being led to attach that and to drive that whole idea of mission just back to the very basic, fundamental character of God, who He is, what He's doing, how He views the world, uh, and not the way sometimes missions can be approached, which it can just overwhelm you with a sense of uh, maybe guilt sometimes as it happens. Or maybe not so bad as that would be like just a mechanical sense of duty. Um, this is so much more rich, and I believe so much more central to the way God approaches us as his children, is to just say, guys, just come to me, draw close to me, try to catch my heart, and let me kind of keep shaping your heart to align with my heart. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to come here and be a part of that. Um, of course, I love talking about this particular topic uh, as well, uh, as we've spent our adult lives just doing that, I think, just letting God, in our particular, our little piece of, of God's kingdom and what he's got Candy and I doing, um, it's just a wonderful thing to spend our time doing, looking at God, looking at who he is and, and what he's like. Let me just pray and, and ask the Lord to use our, our minutes here. Father, thank you so much. The songs we just sang, reminding us of what we were and what we would be. We're just a mess, and it was going to only get worse. And you, you pursued us, and you, you opened our eyes. And by your grace, you allowed us to understand the truth and embrace the truth and embrace you. So we're grateful. Lord, refresh our hearts this morning 
in this incredible privilege that you've opened up to us to reflect your character in this particular aspect of making you known to the people around us. Draw us into your heart. Draw us into your passion. Draw us into your character. Help us to just enjoy aligning with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you guys see the title there, God's Passion for Reclaiming His People. And I would even, because we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, I would even propose an alternate title today, The God Who Throws Parties Whenever a Sinner is Added to the Family. And that's coming right out of Luke chapter 15. So we're, let's read this together. I've got it up here. You can, you can read it on the screen. It's... Uh, just a tiny bit about the setting is just to mention that Jesus is starting to face some opposition. He's an extremely attractive. Many people want to get next to him. Many people want to hear, they want to see, they want to experience, but there is this rising opposition. This guy is trouble for certain things that we're trying to do in this world, and he's got some guys that are following along, and they've got some real trouble with with parts of his message and and the way he lives out his life and so those are the pharisees that he again god just allows us to have this thing recorded so that we can see what's going on and just a perfect glimpse into who god is so the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him to hear jesus but the pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We'll get back to that in a minute. But this is the opportunity that Jesus took. This is the opportunity that this thought was going on right here. Hey, this guy, I mean, he's trying to, he's he's a holy man or claims to be one, but look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. There's something not right here. This is perfect. You can just see Jesus going, oh, I'm so glad you had that complaint because we've got some stuff we need to talk about. So he's, he knows this is going on, and so Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And just note that, okay? Because that's where we're headed with this alternate title, that God, we just want to bask in this aspect of who he is. He rejoices, okay, in this story, this guy's pretty happy who's gone out looking for this one missing sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and it it gets better after this. And he goes home, then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he brings them in. Come on, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So now we're all getting together to enjoy this thing. So, and, and that's how that story's going, but then Jesus takes it even further for all of us to really appreciate what's going on, and he's, he peels back this curtain so that we can look into something that maybe we wouldn't know, maybe we wouldn't guess that it's this way. And he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I, I remember someone telling me, uh, pointing out to me that that was, that was actually a, a true accusation they had about Jesus. He hangs out with sinners. 
He even eats with them. That's the one accusation, because there were a lot of false accusations about him, what he said, what he was intending to do. But that was actually, actually an accurate one. He was hanging out with people that were not like him. There was no real advantage in doing that, and he was accused of that. I love the fact that Jesus, he, he turned that into the opportunity to kind of, okay, look, this is how it works. You guys know, you can identify with this because something that's valuable to you, you actually go after. You go through whatever obstacles there are out there because it is valuable to you. You find that thing, and then you're very happy when it happens. And Jesus says it's even more than that. In heaven, there's more rejoicing over one of these that returns than over the 99 that were there in the place where things were settled and safe and familiar. It's a very basic truth about who God is. We're not way out in a, a, an obscure passage from a minor prophet that we don't, we're not sure all that's going on there, and, but we found a phrase and we're going to build a whole theology out of that. This is just very basic, simple, kind of core theology about who God is and what He's like. Jesus uses the most simple situation to highlight that for us. Have any of you guys heard of the poem? It's a poem, The Hound of Heaven. You ever heard of that or heard that phrase? Okay, some of you have. And I remember hearing of that a long, long time ago, but preparing for this, that phrase came to my mind. Like that hound of heaven, this, this, this one that actually pursues. So I looked that up, uh, didn't know all this about it. It was written in 1893 by Francis Thompson. And then there's a fellow named O'Connor who in 1912 gives this little commentary. I just want to read this for you. It's a paragraph, but just listen to this. The name Hound of Heaven is strange. It startles one at first. It is so bold, so new, so fearless. It does not attract, rather the reverse. But when one reads the poem, this strangeness disappears. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase with unhurrying and imperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by His divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearyingly follows ever after till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to Him alone in that never-ending pursuit." And I just, I just like that way. Even if there's things about that that fall short of describing our God, I like the way it just paints that picture of, again, kind of like this guy going after the one errant sheep. Just whatever he has to go through to find that sheep. I like this, this portrait of God. He's going, he's going, he's going, he's going. Because I have thought about, I think he, you know, God is way beyond what... I know we make our, great, our best attempts to describe him. And, he, and I was thinking about this, how if you talk out of balance on this subject, you create like a desperate God. A God who's like, oh man, I only wish things could go this way. And that's, this, that's weak, dependent, and contingent. And I don't think the Bible paints God that way. But I also don't think that the Bible paints God as quietly unbothered by what happens in the world. I don't see God that way. I don't see the Scriptures doing that. Like, 
Okay, one of the sheep went away. Let's go get that one. Okay, got it. Right on schedule. I planned that for today and we got it done. That's actually, I think some of us go there sometimes. But God is like, hey, let me tell you what it's like. He happily rejoicing, I throws it on his shoulders. Hey, everybody, friends, neighbors, I got him back. I got him back. Can God do that? Can he go like bend his knees and go, I got him back. No, Ron, that's very irreverent. He would say, I got him back. So we know that. Like we struggle. Like God is, is a rock. You won't shake him. You won't mess with him. You won't get him nervous. There's nothing that can happen in the world. He is not. He's in charge of the world. But there's this, this glimpse into him. And guys, that's a, it's not going to be a sophisticated message today. It's just letting, you, letting this thought perk in the back of your minds, in your hearts today, that this is an aspect of his character. And here, as, as Rick reminded us, what this church is all about is us aligning ourselves to reflect God's character, the character of Christ. And so we're just mulling over this aspect. There's so many things he is, right? But today, it's to focus on this heart that he has to pursue, to go after, to be passionate about it even. Man, the songs we sang, there was the uh, hell-bound path or something that I was on. Like, guys, we weren't just like hanging out and, and all this kind of started happening we were moving directly away from God we were blind and we were dead the reason we're here today able to sing those songs and have something happen in our hearts as we sing those songs is because he pursued us that's the awesome thing he didn't just go yeah everything's fine he's no this isn't fine this isn't fine this isn't what I designed this for I'm going to rescue this guy so let's just, that's all we're going to do is just enjoy that and kind of just let that, as we think, each day we're praying, we're talking with the Lord, we're reading His Word, we're reading books, we're coming, we're gathering together to study and encourage each other. We're in that daily process of, Lord, make me more like Christ. Well, it's just this aspect we're highlighting today. Lord, create in me that I would feel the way you feel. Like, man, I'm not that way naturally, Lord. I need you to create that in me. It, it reminds me of Ephesians 5.1 where Paul says, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Even when he tells you the command, be this way, I love it that he's saying, remember who you are. Like you're people who God loves dearly. So let him draw you close. Let him shape you so that you become an imitator of God. Which I think means, so I should party. I should react in some joyful way when I find that one person has been brought into the family of God. That should really mean something to me. So Candy and I stayed at, at Gary Wood's house last night and we're sitting around the, <clears throat> we're sitting at the table and Gary is, he's got a ministry at the jail and he's showing me the cards, the response cards. And one of them's in, in Spanish, and Gary wondered what that was saying, and so I was able to t tell him what that said. But he's showing these cards, and two of these people have come to Christ, and Gary was telling me a story about them coming to Christ. Well, guess what? Because, thank you, Lord, because I'm preparing this particular message, I'm ready to be really excited about these guys. But let me confess, how many times it's like, 
Oh, okay. And what else is going on, Gary? Like, no response. Like, I'm just kind of like, okay. It's just another piece of information. Instead of, we should stop a second. That's huge. Gary, that's huge. And so I was a little more prepared to align with God's heart because this has been on my mind. But it's like, oh, Lord, gosh. I'm, I just want to be drawn closer to him. And I know that's what you guys want to. Like, Lord, don't let me be able to hear of that. I mean, later you're gonna, we're going to have a few of the guys up here talking about different ministry opportunities that this church is engaged in. It can't ever be that, oh, yeah, whatever. People do stuff. It's got to be like, really? You're able to, you've found a way to impact people in that particular section, that particular worldview, that particular nation? Wow. You've really found a way, and, and you're granting us all access to be a part of that. How, that needs to create something. That needs to provoke some kind of a response in my heart. And uh, yeah, the Lord showed me last night, Ron, you're, you know, good thing you've been on this subject, because you, you were able to respond the way, the way you should respond. The rest of Luke chapter 15, uh, we're not, we're not going to uh, look there, but as we are being imitators of God and he is continuing to work in us to conform us to the image of Christ I think just that next part of Luke where where Jesus then goes on to tell the story about the missing coin and so I picture this cluttered room with lots of obstacles it's going to be hard it's not like an empty room there's the coin you know it's like duh there's the coin it's it's like where's the coin Where's the coin? I don't care if I find the coin. That's not going on. It's, where's the coin? We got to find the missing coin. We got to go after the missing coin. Is it hard? Does it take some time? Doesn't matter. I got to go after the missing coin. I'm sweeping. I'm looking. I'm moving here. Maybe I got to get down on the floor, look under this thing, move this piece out of the way. That's the picture. That's our God. Yes, sovereign king, ruler of the universe. But Jesus is saying... Don't miss this, you guys. Don't miss this. Draw close to me and here's what you're going to find. Don't be surprised to find a God that actually gets excited and, and, and rejoices over the fact that a sinner created in his, in his image has now been brought into the full purposes of God to be able to say thank you and to be able to sing along with us those songs of worship that we just enjoyed. So yeah, since he is a pursuing God. Since he is that way and he demonstrates that that's an important part of what he's about, then I also think you and I should be humbled and maybe, yeah, humbled and, and, and just feel honored that God would say, I'm entrusting to you a very big piece in this thing of rescuing the lost, reclaiming my people. He really goes out on a limb in a way, like in my uh, human way of looking at things. If you turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 13 down through the end. You can kind of skim through that as I'm talking. You just see some key phrases in there where God is actually entrusting to his people, like to the body of Christ, this ministry of reconciliation and the message or word of reconciliation. You'll find that down 2 Corinthians 5, like especially 18, 19, 20. You'll see that he has given us 
the ministry of reconciliation and he's entrusted to us the word of reconciliation. So again, here we have this sovereign king who can do whatever he wants and he doesn't go to your office or your college classroom or over to places where you do business. He doesn't go over there and share the gospel with those people. Oh, he certainly could. Come on, he's God. But he has chosen to glorify himself in this other way. It's more clunky from my perspective. Seems clunky to employ us. We get so easily distracted, or some of us are shy. I can't believe I'm standing up here. You guys wouldn't know who I was. I mean, you go back to when I was so shy. My mom will tell you stories. Maybe that now, am I not shy now? I don't even know. No time for that rabbit trail. Hmm. Uh, he takes people like us that sometimes we feel very shy or, or very self-conscious or we're just in this culture where it's so inappropriate to talk about our faith. Like, it doesn't fit. What are you doing? Oh, keep that to yourself. Be private with that. And so we're in that, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why we would be kind of clunky at actually representing the God of the universe. And yet this isn't God's plan B, plan C, oh, I wish I could have done it some other way, this isn't going very well. This is how God designed it. You are my beloved children, I love working this way. If I didn't love working this way, I would work some other way. I've chosen this, I love this. Come close to me, let me show you my heart and by the way, I am with you always in your office, in your college classroom, with the people you're doing business with. I'm right there with you. I'm going to work this through you. So there's this aspect where if we realize how important this is in, in the perspective of God, that I think it's kind of humbling and exciting that he would say, hey, I want you to do that. I want you to be right in the middle of this thing. I'm going to work through you. So yeah, Paul ends that section in 2 Corinthians just giving us the name ambassadors. That's what we end up being. And guys, we have been entrusted with a huge stewardship in this church. All the places, the people you know, the people you work with, the people that run into you, Sometimes it's just they're seeing your life for a long time. They're just seeing your life. There's no way. You haven't found a way to even explain who you are or why life works the way it does. They're just seeing your life for a long time. But what a stewardship, you guys, to be a local church and to have that thing committed to you, the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, and to be his ambassadors. Sometimes... Guys, I think we all have to admit that it, it, it's not comfortable and maybe it feels like a drag or feels like, yeah, very unappealing. And I think what I would suggest to us, just as I have to say to myself, I, I kind of, you know, if you allow me the phrase, lucked out yesterday at Gary's uh, place just because, you know, the Lord's got my, this thing on my mind here. But I think what I would suggest to us is when we find ourselves feeling that way is not to accept it. To say to yourself, okay, I'm drifting from the heart of God. This should matter more to me. I should be okay with this. Lord, help me with the awkwardness. Help me with, uh, you know, my shyness. 
help me with my fears of I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be considered the weird guy that talks about stuff that everybody knows you're not supposed to talk about. Lord, help me with that. And when you see that you're, you're not there, just not to put yourself under a guilt trip, but just to say to yourself and say that, Lord, draw me, draw me, because I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I don't have the passion that you have. Draw me closer. As we make that our focus, you guys, I want to go, I, I'm kind of mentioned this thing that, hey, my focus, you guys, every, people here that do know me, my focus and our lives have been spent making the truth of Jesus Christ available in these language groups where there is nothing. There is no Bible in their language. There is no believers in their language. So it's, it's a small slice of the world, but we, that's been our focus. And so when a guy like me stands in front of you, at a certain point, your mind is telling you, eventually he's going to tell us we're all supposed to be missionaries. But I'm actually, I'm actually not going to do that. Because of the, the, the importance of the church, what we actually do is, is plant churches in those places. That is God's solution. Organize a body of believers, a community of faith in those places. Equip them. Give them the scriptures. Because they are going to be the ones that represent me throughout that entire sociolinguistic people group. Can you imagine us going out to those places? Because this is how we're misunderstood, because I really hype up the unreached people group. Oh, so we're all supposed to go to the unreached people group. Can you imagine if we went to the unreached language group, and as soon as the first person gets saved, we say, oh, now that you belong to Christ, you need to move somewhere else. Because that's just what we do. We don't stay where we're from, we always go someplace where we're not from. And then, then he moves over there, but he starts to make friends and become comfortable there, and that's, then we tell him to leave there. That would never work. That is not how God works. He actually leaves the majority of us in the language and the cultural setting in which we were brought into the family of God so that we will impact the rest of those people. They speak our language. Like, we're fluent. We know how to get around Orange County. We know how to talk to people. We know what's going to make them awkward. We know what's going to make them laugh. We know what's, we, we, this is how, we're effective here. So most of us are going to be asked by God, impact the world right around you, okay? So you didn't hear it from me. Everybody needs to go be a missionary. So let me give you guys what I think you should, could expect to happen. I got five points here to wrap up with. didn't change that clock. We've actually got a whole hour. <laughs> Let's slow this thing down. We've got lots of time. I really loved it that Julianne told, told Ryan, gave him the answer. I was going to give you a copy of my notes, Julianne, in case I forgot to say something. Hey! Because we really do need that help. But here I am, wanting to go here. I just didn't mean to make you nervous by the extra hour. We don't have that. Five takeaways. Things... I would word it this way. These are things that I think you and I should expect to happen in our lives as we let the Lord draw us closer and closer into His heart, identifying with His passion for the world. Here's some of the things that I think you could expect. The first one is this amazed humility, which we've already talked about. This sense of, holy cow, you could do this so much better than me. God, you're putting it in my hands? Holy cow. Holy Toledo. Holy moly. 
That's mole, not moly. <laughs> Amazed humility. Let the Lord do that to you. Let, let yourself just be wowed with, really? You're going to give me like a part in the most important thing going on to be your ambassador? Amazed humility. Secondly, I think we'll find ourselves moving towards strategic prayer. I mean, like, Lord, who? Who exactly? All these people around me, who exactly can I, can I impact? How? Lord, help me know how, like strategically. How do I get myself in the right place? And what are the words I could use to even get past, hey, how's it going? Like strategic prayer, you guys. I think we can expect to find that happening as we just move closer to the heart of God. A godly alertness. I thought about how you, uh, how I get a list I have to go to the store and buy everything on the list. Well, I really depend on the list. You would never want to trust my memory. So I got the list. I go to the store. I find everything on the list. I pay for everything on the list. I go back to my car. Mission accomplished. Well, the difference here, I think, would be, Lord, help me be alert to the people. Help me see the people. Now, no, I can't, I can't reach everybody in the grocery store. It's not that. It's like, Spirit of God, you're at work. You're actively pursuing people. You've named me as, as this ambassador thing. So, Lord, just give me an alertness to the people so that, yeah, I do have to buy the stuff on the list. I actually do have to get it, pay for it, get back in my car. I do have to accomplish that. But while I'm doing that, Lord, just give me that alertness. Help me, Lord. I think we should expect to see that kind of godly alertness start to happen. Celebration. Like I said, I got a pass last night with, with uh, Gary. But will we count it party worthy? Will we do that? I would expect the Lord to make me a little more ready to party, to express, to celebrate. Okay, that's a safer word. Party? Come on, Ron. Let's not talk about parties. Celebrate we can do. That's, that's a better word. I would expect God to do that in my heart. Come on, Ron, don't you realize what just happened there? Celebrate that thing. Celebrate that. That's huge. It's like, of course. Like, academically, we all get it. What did you learn in church today? Nothing. Ron spoke for 30 minutes and didn't hear a thing. I've never, no, I didn't hear anything new. I'm not, I'm not, I actually, that's okay. I'm not like, that's fine. Because I'm not trying to do something new. We already know that. We know we should celebrate. But it's like, okay, let's, Let's admit that we don't, that academically we know, but like at the heart level, Lord, draw me into your heart. However that works, Lord, draw me so that I would be able to see that this is worth celebrating. Finally, fifth point, takeaway. I think this global idea, there's so much, you guys, come on, this is my last 30 years, this, this part of it. So how much to say, I don't really know, but that God would take, as we move closer, we get in line with his heart, that you would expect to start to see created in your own mind a, a little space for that, the great commission that he gave, I want disciples who know me and love me and worship me from every single 
ethne. That's the Greek word behind that word nations in the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. That's ethne. Sociolinguistic groupings of people. God sees the world that way. From Babel to the before the throne in Revelation where every single tribe and tongue and nation and family, they're all, everyone is gathered around him. He sees that distinction. And he knows that the, the way his truth and his character and who he is when it's understood here, it isn't just so easily moved from here across those sociolinguistic language and culture boundaries to make sense over here. It takes a special effort. Like I said, we're going to have four, four guys up here in just a minute to talk about the different areas that we're engaged in already as a church. But this godly, global perspective, I just want to encourage you. The one example of the Mewadi, 6.5 million Mewadi speakers in Rajasthan, North India. No believers, no Bible, no Christian effort, no, no church. 6.5 million people, you guys. So when Jesus said, hey, I deserve worship from those people as well. There are a group of my people that need to be brought to life from among the Mewadi. So what he entrusted to the body of Christ, to us, was to make disciples even from those places. No, it, maybe one of you would go to the Mewati. That would be awesome. That would be an honor for our church to send someone to the Mewati. But I believe the Lord at least get that on our radar. Like, not, Lord, do I have anything to do with that? But, Lord, what? What can I do? Can I pray? What, what can I do? so that you are known and loved from every single people group. In closing, I'll just remind you that where this whole thing comes from and ends is in God's character himself. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with me. You're not going to save the world. I'm not going to save the world. You're not going to go out with a guilt trip, and you're not going to go out out of stone-cold mechanical duty. It's just as we, as we let the Lord draw us closer to his heart, that will start to affect our heart. We, we, his perspective starts to become ours. We start, the Lord allows us the privilege of reflecting his character to the people that are in our lives. Let me just ask the Lord to help us with that as these guys are coming up. Father, thank you so much for giving us the privilege of representing you. It scares us, it overwhelms us, it makes us nervous many times. So Lord, draw us to your heart so that your perspective would take over in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we have is uh, Jared and Tim and Dave. They're going to share briefly about the ministries that we have that are helping us as a church to cultivate or get this global perspective and a passion to reclaim God's people through the world. One of the great things that our student ministry does is called Mission LA. It's actually happening really soon, April 1st and April 2nd. Uh, so just a couple weeks, um, where we take our students into inner city L.A. and we give them a tour of the city. It's actually a prayer tour. And we stop off in different locations and we have them get out of the vans and pray uh, for those communities. And it is incredible, eye-opening opportunity for them, an easy opportunity to just see 
um, the neediness of people all around us uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They see the effects of sin there, um, and they see the transforming power of the gospel as well. And then they get to be the hands and feet of Jesus and doing some just very basic uh, service opportunities that may not make a huge difference in the lives of the people in L.A., but I'll tell you, the work that God does in the lives of our students through this experience is huge. And it's such a delight for me to have seen students go through this and then the Lord just ignite a fire in their hearts for gospel ministry. Uh, sometimes that takes place on their school campuses. Sometimes it leads them to actually go and become missionaries uh, in foreign lands themselves. It's, it's a fantastic thing. If you have students um, that uh, you want to see them put their faith into practice, let me encourage you. Get them involved in this Mission LA that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. How many here um, have friends, family, neighbors that are, that are Mormon, that are LDS? Go ahead and raise your hand up. Yeah. Um, I started going on this trip about 10 years ago, started training youth and, um, and adults uh, to go out to Utah to talk to Mormons, and we do that in a variety of ways. We go to Temple Square, some of their um, uh, relig re kind of religious attractions where they draw people in. We go door to door, which is both terrifying and wonderful. Um, we uh, go to a pageant where we're um, surrounded by thousands of Mormons, and we get into conversations every single day, throughout the day, throughout the night. Uh, it's an amazing experience, and, and so we see God drawing Mormons, and, and people tell me all the time, Mormons are these, these nice, wonderful people, and they are, but they're deceived as much as atheists or uh, unreached people group. They, they believe in a false god, a false gospel that, that, um, where they, they spend their lives trying to become gods of their own world. And so they don't trust in Christ for their salvation. And so those are the kind of conversations that we have, and they're amazing. Uh, our, our, when I ask our, our youth um, what was the best thing about the trip, they say, putting our faith into practice and just that, how much that has grown their faith. And so I want to invite you guys. Uh, you can see um, my family has come with me. Uh, my kids as young as 10 years old are out talking, starting conversations. So if a 10-year-old can do it, you guys can do it as well. Um, I will train you up. We'll go out there. Again, this is a great um, ministry opportunity to do a short-term mission, to come. You don't have to be an amazing evangelist. You can come and serve. You can come and pray for us. You can come and love on and talk to uh, the people that we will engage with. So we're going at the end of June, and I want to invite you guys um, to come with us, that, that, um, that families can come, uh, couples, singles, uh, young people, young people, you have no excuse. Come with us. We'll have a blast. And we'll get to see God pursuing people, uh, Mormon people, and, and he does it through us. And it's amazing, like Ron said. Well, the, the area that um, I've been working in for, I think, about eight years now, we've gone, been going down to Mexico and working with Spectrum Ministries. And uh, I learned a lot uh, from some readings, uh, Francis Schaeffer and Sproul, and we had Greg Kokel here, and talking about the phases of evangelism. And I never felt that uh, the helps was all, you know, that important. The real deal, the real Super Bowl on Sunday is leading somebody to Christ. It's that final conversion. Yet, it's a process in the vast majority of people who come to the Lord. 
And so um, there's a great deal of significance in what we're doing in the area in evangelism that we operate in is we are supporting people who are doing uh, everything that um, Ron was talking about earlier. They live in the community, they speak the language, they're in, uh, in, immersed in the culture and the customs and in socially in the lives of the people who are there and um, provide an effective ministry in leading people to the Lord. But part of that is in an impoverished area is they need real help. You know, tell me about the Lord. Great, but I haven't eaten since the day before yesterday. Uh, my kid has lice. I need a haircut. We haven't had a bath in two weeks. Uh, we don't have a roof over our head. And so that's the area that we go out and we help with. And we have that, uh, you know, we've talked about first world problems. You know, my cell phone's not downloading something fast enough. Uh, but we have this enormous blessing, probably more than any country in history, is that's wealth. And that's something that they don't have. So this church has been so faithful in giving. And we've had men go down. We've had as many as 24, as few as a dozen uh, once a year to help Spectrum Ministry show the love of Christ to the people in very practical ways uh, that opens the door for them to discuss uh, the gospel of Christ. So if you're interested in this sort of ministry, please reach out to me. There's other ways than our house building trip. Tim uh, led a couple, uh, maybe several trips down there. I don't need to go, but if you're interested in leading a group, I can get you in touch with them, help you through the process, and I'd even love to go um, and uh, help out with some of these other uh, terrific areas. So look me up if you're interested. So I hope you're starting to see some kind of pattern. On the one hand, we have mission opportunities that are just trying to cultivate in people's lives a passion or a vision for what the possibility could be. We have direct evangelism going out just sharing the gospel. We have um, opportunities where we're doing what you might call social gospel, where we're building houses and, and meeting physical needs. And one component we're adding to that as elders, we've been praying about uh, kind of a theological equipping and, and broader engaging of a, of a culture. And so we've been praying about the nation of Japan for the last year. And so this, this coming May, so in about two months, me and one of our elders will be going out to a vision trip. Uh, there's a, the, the, the kind of a very iconic visions of Japan. Let me give you a little statistics about this nation. Uh, the, the country has about 127 million people, and Japan is located firmly in what's called the 1040 window. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with that, the 1040 window is a longitude-latitude uh, band across the globe that missionologists recognize as housing the most uh, unreached people on the planet. So of a population of nearly 130 million, evangelical Christians of the nation of Japan make up less than 600,000. So by math, you're looking at 0.5%. So the average national Japanese man or woman will never meet a committed Christian in their entire lifetime. So it's a, it's a country in dire need of the gospel. Uh, people don't think about first world countries as a needy place because usually we have visions of third world countries. But here's an example of one of the most secular societies on the planet. They have no gospel witness. Uh, they have one of the highest suicide rates of all developed nations, about 30,000 men uh, between 18 and 44 will kill themselves this year. Uh, so it's astounding. Uh, they have uh, one million what's called hikikomori, and that is a, the young generation of men, mostly men, but a lot of young women, have effectively disconnected from culture. They live nocturnal lives, spend all their time consuming uh, in the evenings entertainment, pornography, video games, and going out only to buy ramen and coming back and sleeping through the day. It's an, it's an epidemic in the nation. There are a million of them and more. So put this in perspective, there are twice as many hikikomori than there are Christians to share the gospel in this nation. 
Uh, and so, uh, so, so here's the strategy. We are partnering with Christ Bible Seminary in Nagoya, Japan, which is strategically located four hours south of Tokyo and four hours north of Kyoto and Osaka, about 30 million people, excuse me, 100 million people within those cities alone. Uh, and the seminary is strategically located by the busiest train station. So they are raising up church planters, all young men. There's no infrastructure to support churches. So these are all young men who are bivocational, who are being trained in the seminary and this is their strategy here, to offer them theological uh, training and education, uh, then to partner with a church planting movement in Tokyo, Nagoya, and Kyoto, and Osaka. Uh, uh, along with, there's a church in the seminary, an all-nations church, where a lot of these young men are getting in practical training, uh, and uh, they have an a, a outreach called Heart and Soul Cafe to the community. The point being is, this is a seminary, as they're working and partnering with them to train young men and women theologically to go into the culture in a church planting movement. Uh, they are recently partnering with an organization called Redeemer City to City. Uh, that's a part of Tim Keller's network out of Manhattan. The goal being pouring our lives and our abilities into this seminary who then pour into a church planting movement. Now, obviously not all of you or any of you could do all of these, but there's a way in which some of you could be involved or all of you could be involved in some of these things. We just want to highlight them to show you that at the church, we're trying to think very thoughtfully about how are we being missionally minded. Again, these are just deliberate moments of ministry we can walk into that, that show a fabric within our own congregation of how are we thinking about missions every day, both in the organic sense and in the more deliberate formal sense like this. So going to L.A., cultivating a heart for missions, evangelism out in Utah, building homes in Mexico, and then training church planners in, in Japan. This is part of the commission. This is what we are called to live for. Uh, I said in the first hour, it's easy to be distracted, friends, right? I say it all the time. We get distracted by things that matter least from things that matter most. And while they may have relative importance, our 401ks and our, our retirement and our vacation plans, they're only relative importance. The thing of ultimate importance is fulfilling the Great Commission, and we have to be about that. So we want to at least once a year think about it from a, a pulpit perspective, but all through the year we want to be thinking about it and providing opportunities. Well, let's pray and end our time. Father, we thank you for your, your glorious grace, uh, the way you've raised up our brothers and sisters in Tijuana with Radius and the phenomenal work that they are there. And thank you for our connection with the Van Piersoms. Uh, Mission LA, trips to Utah, Mexico, and, and possibly with, uh, uh, in Nagoya, Japan. Lord, we are part of something you are doing on a grand scale. Would you be so kind as to not let us get distracted by the, uh, the culture around us, the good things we enjoy that keeps our eye off the one main thing that matters. And that is you reclaiming your people for your glory for eternity. Help us to be a part of that exciting, uh, life-consuming adventure. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.